Hey there, I'm Jacob Harmon from Website Squirrel. Welcome to TrustCast. I am intrigued by trust. In fact, I find myself thinking about trust and building trust all the time. Our governments, economies, and even our personal lives are completely built on trust. Think about it. Trust is even at the very soul of our marketing objectives. If a customer trusts us, they're more willing to buy from us. So how do we build trust with customers at scale? Especially when we live in an increasingly digital world where consumers are less trusting than ever. On this podcast, we break through the noise and focus on the ultimate keystone metric that matters. Our primary objective, trust. Back to TrustCast. I'm really excited to be here. It has been a while since I've released an episode or, or recorded an episode, but we're back and you may have also noticed that there are a couple changes. We have a new artwork, a new intro, and the biggest thing of all is that my company has evolved over the last little bit. I used to run JMH Media, as you all know, and it was a full-fledged marketing agency. We did a little bit of everything, but I've decided a lot of it is actually thanks to the things that I've learned from this very show, talking to people, that I needed to focus, and I needed to really focus on what I do well, and that's websites. So JMH Media has actually become Website Squirrel. We have a radical model, and we're hoping to really change the way that website design works and how the industry works. So anyways, check us out. But more importantly, I'm back and the podcast is back. And I'm actually really excited that this is the episode that we're back with because uh, this is probably one of the favorite episodes that I've recorded. So enjoy. Hello and welcome back to another episode of TrustCast. And today is... One of those days that I've been looking forward to ever since I scheduled this interview, uh, we have a real treat for you. This is Matthew Dix, and he's a novelist. He's a TEDx speaker. He's a teacher. But really, at the end of the day, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think you're a storyteller, aren't you, Matthew? Yeah. I mean, my kids would tell me that I'm an annoying father, and my <laughs> wife would say I'm a doting husband, but... I think in the end, most of the things that I do center around storytelling. Isn't that the job of a father and husband, though, at the end of the day? <laughs> it is, yes. Yeah, very much yeah. so. I mean, even in my teaching, I'm an elementary school teacher. You know, I spend my day basically telling my students stories in an effort to entertain and enlighten and get them excited about learning. So I really am telling stories all the time. Yeah. And, and that's one of the big reasons why I wanted to have you on my show, because I feel like storytelling is an art and it's an art that is great for personal aspects, but I think brands can really use storytelling to their advantage to create more trust with their customers. Yeah, I, I agree completely that the list of people who I have worked with over the years in terms of storytelling there's not a type of person who I have not worked with. You know, my, my recent addition to the list was Santa Clauses because they realized that if they can tell a good one to two minute story while the kid's sitting on their lap, the photo will come out better and they can get more kids on their laps. You know, those long mall lines will get shorter and shorter if they can keep the kids happy. So, 
You know, even Santa Clauses have figured out that if I can tell a good story, I can keep my customer happy and then I can get more customers through the line. <laughs> so yeah, it's ridiculous. The, the number of people who have sort of come to the conclusion that storytelling can help them. Yeah, the applications are endless, I guess. Uh, and, and what makes a good story? I mean, obviously I, I think I know when I hear a good story versus a bad story, but what is it that actually makes a good story? It's a lot of things, really. I, I think in the end, I always tell people, no matter what your goal for the story is, you have to be entertaining first. You have to mm. say something that sort of brings the light or suspense or joy or, you know, concern, fear. All of these things are the kinds of things that make stories interesting to people. So mm -hmm. whether you're working with a marketing company or an advertising agency, or you're teaching a grandparent to tell a story about their past you know, in a desperate effort to get a grandchild to listen before they die. I think you have to be entertaining to one degree or another to really leave an impression and to make me people feel like it was time well spent. Mm -hmm. I love that word that you just said there, making an impression. At the end of the day, that's what marketing is, right? Our ultimate goal is to make an impression, uh, whether that's a, an ad or or a podcast or a blog post, whatever that is, whatever form that content is, we want to make an impression and we want to be memorable. And there's something about stories that it, it, to me, at least just really create memories. And I don't know if that's an innate thing. I don't know if it's like some evolutionary thing. I don't know why, but it works, right? <laughs> yeah, it does. I mean, it's probably part evolution, you know, stories before we could write things down sort of saved our lives. You know, like, don't go onto that savanna. There's a large cat that eats human beings. Like, let me tell you the story about the last guy that got eaten. But there's a lot of science uh -huh. behind it, too. There's, there's chemicals that are released as we listen to stories, depending on the quality of the story and what is happening in the story. You know, the ability to create empathy and engagement actually releases things into our brain that make us feel better, that make us feel good and reinforce that feeling for the next time. So I think all of those things are kind of working on, on some level, but I think ultimately too, we just like to have a good time and a storyteller who's doing a good job, whether that's a personal story or a story we see for marketing or advertising or sales, you know, we can give people a good time while getting them to think about things the way we wanted them to think about them. Mm, yeah. And th this might be putting you on the spot a little bit and let me know if it is and we can edit this question out. Um, <laughs> but do you maybe have like a, a short, quick story just in your back pocket as an example of a story that, that would engage someone or really leave an impression? I know that you tell stories all the time on the podcast I listen to. Well, I just told one two nights ago, a new one for our show. My wife and I are producing virtual shows right now during COVID. And, you know, at every show I tell a brand new story. So, you know, I'll just give you the abbreviated version of the story that I told the other <laughs> night. I was standing in line at Trader Joe's, which is a grocery store I hate. You know, it's this weird grocery store where you can buy a hot dog and a hot dog bun, but you can't buy a Diet Coke or a bag of Doritos or even the aluminum foil that you need for the grill. You know, it's this like pretentious location that decides what you should buy and what you shouldn't buy. It's like a grocery store that requires another grocery store. It's ridiculous, but my children <laughs> love it and my wife loves it. So I'm standing in line 
not even inside the store. I'm standing outside the store because it's right at the beginning of the pandemic. And the one good thing they do is they were limiting the number of people who could go into the store. So I'm standing outside, socially distanced, wearing a mask. And it's like a peaceful day, except there's a woman. There's a woman three in front of me. And she's wearing a mask, but she's turned and she's talking to the line as if we're a captive audience. And she's telling us how terrible it is that she has to wear a mask and how un-American it is and how unscientific it is and how, you know, unrighteous it is. And I'm always getting into fights with people because I'm really good (laughs) at saying the worst thing at the right moment to make people feel bad. I'm really great at that skill. But my wife can't stand it. Every time I get in one of these verbal altercations, she thinks I'm going to get killed. So she's asked me to stop fighting with people in public. So I'm letting this woman just go. I'm like, forget it. I'm going to let her go. I'm going to look at my phone. I'm not going to create a problem. I'm being really good, which is unusual for me. I usually engage these people all the time. But then she says something about making a sacrifice, that she's making a sacrifice for our country. And I just snap. And I say to her, I say, my father was drafted and forced to fight in Vietnam, even though he didn't want to. And he was exposed to Agent Orange, which resulted in four heart attacks and continued heart disease throughout his entire life. So after I'm done shopping today, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to tell him what a great sacrifice you have made for the country, because I think you're a goddamn hero for standing here in a mask. And it didn't go well. She did not like anything that I said. She lost her mind. Mm -hmm. And she... She yelled to the Trader Joe's employee who was sort of keeping track of the line. She said the police needed to be called because I had verbally assaulted her and I made her feel uncomfortable and threatened in line. And the guy behind me, he thought it was hilarious. You know, he started laughing. He said, threatened. He just called you a hero lady, which didn't help at all. You know, the lady was just losing it. And I realized like, damn, I'm in the middle of a pandemic and I've created this problem for this poor Trader Joe's employee who's doing everything she can to keep us safe. So I finally said, I'll just leave. I told her, I'll just leave. You don't need to call the police. I'll just, I'll come back later. So I left and I was driving home thinking like how good I am. Honestly, that's what I was thinking. I thought to myself, you know, the next time this lady tries to turn and like captivate her audience in this rotten way, maybe she'll think twice. Maybe she'll think, uh oh, maybe another guy like, you know, like that guy will be in line and I'll have to you know, taste his bitter medicine. You know, I was thinking maybe I had changed the world in a positive way. And then I remember I turned onto my street and for some reason, the moment I turned onto my street, it clicked. I realized I didn't really go after her because I wanted to make the world a better place. I went after her because I genuinely have fun yelling at people in public that, you know, I just am really good at making people feel bad with my words. And it feels great to do something that you're good at. You know, I, and I just remember thinking, You're not the great human you think you are. You're just a guy who likes to go into the world and stir up trouble with these lunatics and these losers and these idiots who, you know, say terribly racist things to fast food workers and, you know, say, you know, passive aggressive under their breath comments to cashiers and all these people that I can't stand. I used to think I was doing good work and instead I realized sort of (laughs) I'm just doing something that I really enjoy. And I felt a little less of a, of a noble human being as I pulled into my driveway that day. So that's like the example of a story in that, you know, I start my story thinking one thing about myself and coming to a, 
a relatively meaningful realization about myself as a human being by the end of that story. Yeah, I, I'm impressed. Uh, less than five minutes. I was captivated the entire time. I was very interested in what's going to happen in this conflict, or is there going to be a conflict at the beginning when you're trying to avoid it? I, 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 I mean, stories are amazing, and I like how you talked about that transformation. Is that what makes a story interesting? If there's if there's no form of change throughout the story, then do we kind of ignore it or not care so much about it? Because I know, like, from a movie standpoint, there's always a character at the beginning who changes throughout, right? It's like the hero's journey. Is that what makes it captivating? Yeah, it needs to reflect either some type of realization or transformation, I say. Either we we come to some new understanding about ourselves or the world or someone else, or we change in a really fundamental way. Those other mm-hmm. stories, the ones that don't sort of have these changes, they're entertaining, but, you know, they don't stick with us. They, mm. They're the drinking stories that our buddies tell us, you know, you're not going to believe what happened last night when I had nine beers. You know, they're the stories about... The, the great soccer game that your friend was in and the three goals he scored. But, you know, they're very, very flimsy in terms of their lasting power. So we really do need to, we need to demonstrate some kind of a change. Ideally, through the course of telling the story, we're going to be vulnerable in some way. We're going to mm-hmm. say something that most people are p- perhaps unwilling to say. We're going to try to find things that will make our story relatable to other people. So even mm-hmm. though you might not engage with other people in the world in the same way I do. You know, you're not looking for verbal confrontations like I constantly am. You know, in telling my story, maybe you also think about the fact that, you know, there may be cases where you're less noble than you think you are, and really what you're doing is having a good time or, you know, questioning your motives. You know, that's what that story is about. So we're looking for something that people can put themselves in my shoes while I'm telling the story as well. Okay. And coming at it more from a marketing, advertising, branding uh, perspective, how does brand craft a story effectively that, that includes those types of elements, the transformation and vulnerability and, and change and relatability? H- have you seen any good examples of brands doing this well and maybe some examples of them not doing it so well? Yeah. You know, what I say about the stories that I tell and the stories I teach people to tell is that all stories should have sort of a thesis statement. So the story Mm -hmm. I just told you was I used to think I was a person with noble intentions and then some stuff happens and I discover I do not have the noble intentions I hope to have. I really was just looking to have some fun, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of a brand, oftentimes that thesis statement is there was once a problem in the world or the world was once lacking something that was needed or something that people didn't even realize they needed. And then some stuff happened. And now that thing exists, your product, your service, your platform, whatever it is. So it's taking Mm -hmm. your audience, your customer, your client, whoever you're, whoever you're pitching it to your stakeholder. And you're pointing out that there was once a time when this thing didn't exist. And here was the problem that existed in its place. And then we came along and here's the thing that we did. And it resulted in something meaningful. And then if we can add any kind of, sort of layer of vulnerability, relatability, and authenticity to it. Now we're really cooking, you know? So a really great example is I was working with a very large tech company recently. And one of their executives who I was working with came up with this brilliant pivot in her marketing strategy. You know, this really great idea that she came up with that really changed a lot about 
the direction the company was going in. And the way she came up with it was it was a Tuesday night and she was on her third glass of wine alone in her apartment when on a napkin, she just happened to write down six words and that became the marketing campaign. And so when we were working on it, I said to her, you have to talk about Tuesday night, three wines and a napkin. And she said, I'm not going to do that. Like, I don't want anyone to know that on a Tuesday night, I was half in the bag when I came up with this plan. And I said, that is the thing that people will attach themselves to. That is the relatability and the vulnerability of this process. And she didn't put in the original plan. Now, the plan was great. People loved it. And then she came up to this pitch where she it was lower stakes. I, you know, I was like, you're not pitching to important people here. Can you just put the napkin story in here and maybe even a picture of the napkin in your deck? And she did. And... The change was phenomenal. She said, people cannot stop talking about my Tuesday night epiphany, right? And it's the same reason we remember the theory of relativity, like Newton's theory. It's because it comes along with an apple that falls Mm. on his head. And that is the story behind it. It's why George Washington, if we just said George Washington was honest, that would be a fact that would ultimately be lost on us or it would be unimportant to us. But we attach an apocryphal story of a cherry tree. And him telling his father, I cannot tell a lie. And suddenly George Washington is honest to us, even though we kind of know that story didn't really happen. And it's just an example of how honest he was. So that's what we're looking for when we're trying to create these brands. We're trying to demonstrate the story, but at the same time, can we add some humanity to what we're doing so that people will remember us and recognize who we are as a part of that story? Okay, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I really like the example with Newton, because everyone knows that, right? The apple falling out of the tree, landing on his head, or, or whatever. I don't know how true that was, either. Oh, which, I'm sure which it's not. Leads, yeah, yeah, which actually leads me to another question for you. Truth in storytelling. Is it necessary that we tell the truth, or... Is embellishment good? Is embellishment lying? Especially from a brand perspective, does that dilute trust if if we're embellishing a story or we're we're maybe saying something that isn't completely true? Yeah, I, I believe in truth. I believe in the idea that we always want to be speaking the truth, but we don't necessarily have to tell the whole truth. So we can conveniently leave things out that do not help our story. As personal storytellers, I do it all the time. You know, there was many things in that Trader Joe story that I did not mention to you because it didn't serve my purpose. I wasn't hiding them from you because they were embarrassing or bad. They just didn't drive the, the story home. So when I'm working with a company, we're always talking about what to include and what not to include. Now, we don't want to hide things deliberately that if they are found later is going to be problematic for us. But at the same time, we're capable or we're able to take out things that don't serve the purpose of the story, things that just clutter the field. So I believe in that. In terms of embellishment, I'm really not a fan of that at all. I'll tell people they can exaggerate, but you can only exaggerate if people know you're exaggerating. Mm-hmm. You know, If you're doing it to make people laugh and they go, oh, that was funny because it was an exaggeration. Otherwise, right. if you're embellishing, you're just lying. And lying is sort of like the laziest of all marketers. Like I can just make stuff up. Like I'm a novelist, right? So mm-hmm. I make all the stuff up in my books. I didn't even do it there really. I put real people in my books all the time, but theoretically <laughs> I can make all my stuff up. The thing I love about storytelling is we are saddled with this pile of pesky facts and we have to find the order and the right way to say it and, you know, the right tone, all of those things that we take it. So it's like a puzzle to me. 
Storytelling is a puzzle where we have to deal with the facts, whereas fiction is a lot easier in a lot of ways. So I, I like the truth. I'm glad that you said that. I wasn't sure what your answer was going to be, <laughs> but I'm glad that you said that we should base our stories in reality. Um, unless, of course, everyone knows that it's not reality, right? And and, and there's definitely examples of that. I think of like uh, Allstate with uh, their Mayhem character. Everyone knows that's fake, right? And there's story elements. I mean, they're telling a story of, of him causing mayhem everywhere, but it's very obvious to every viewer. I don't think, I mean, who knows? Maybe there's someone out there who thinks he's a real guy, but I don't think anybody thinks that Allstate is saying, hey, like, this dude is out there causing mayhem. You better watch out for him, you know? Right. Um, or even their museum that they present. You know, they bring their people through, you know, here's our it, museum of all the former accents. No one believes that museum exists, but they're telling a story. They're saying, regardless of what happens to you, we're going to take care of you, you know, and we're going to mm -hmm. do it in this way that is funny, and therefore yeah. it will be memorable, right? So as long as we understand, as long as we're all sort of agreeing that this is not really the truth, but this is going to be an amusing fiction that is speaking truth, you know, on our behalf, that's perfectly fine with me. Right, right. But you never want to try to deceive or attempt to make something look real that isn't. Yes. Uh, uh, amen to that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I'm loving this idea of crafting a story. Let's say I'm a brand, I I own a small business or a company, or I'm a marketing director. Where do I start? Do I just take out a scratch piece of paper and start writing down every idea that comes to me? What What's the best way to start to figure out how to craft a story around my brand? Well, you know, I just started working with a new company. And the first thing I wanted to know was, I wanted to know the origin story of the company. Where did this begin? Whose idea was it? Not only whose idea was it, but I want to know where the idea came from. I want to know where you were physically when the idea popped into your head. I want to know important steps along the way, describing what happened, where you were, what was said, all of those things. And then I want everybody else's story too. In the company I was working with recently, I tried to explain to them that we're going to craft a story for our company, but we're also going to craft stories for everyone in the company because everyone else has a different origin story. Why do I work for this company? If you can get your employees, especially a smaller company, which is what I was working with, if you can get your 15 employees to each have a story. So when someone comes up and says, what do you do for a living? And you say, I work for ABC company. And they say, really? And then you can describe why you work for ABC company and what it means to you. Right now you're going to have a person who's going to be out in the world sort of advertising your company, marketing your company, getting people to, to understand and relate to your company. So I wow. interview people. I'm very interested in hearing the story of all the people who are significant in the company and their roles and what brought them to the company and what's keeping them with the company. You know, I'm often saying to them, listen, there's a lot of opportunities in the world. You've decided to stay here. Why are you staying here? Why are you not looking for another opportunity? And that all becomes part of the message for me. That's when I'm trying to figure out what I want to say. I mean, ultimately, companies are about people. You know, they really are about the people who are working there and the people who have founded them and brought them along the way. So that's kind of where I start. 
Interesting. So really focusing on the people. I like that idea of your employees too. It makes me think of a while ago um, when I was in college, I, I worked for a large tech company. And interestingly enough, when I had my interview for that job, one of the questions that they asked was, tell us about the first time you used one of our products. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I told them, basically, they were screening me as a potential employee by, do you have a story with our brand already? Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) I like that. And do you have passion for it? You know, do you believe in it? I just worked with a company who we crafted an all hands message. Now, this is a company that has tens of thousands of employees. And the all hands message was essentially, when you are at a party and someone asks, what do you do for a living? This company is one that sort of is difficult to explain what they do. You know, one of these, like, what exactly does that company do? I've heard of it, but I don't understand what Uh you do. We wanted them to be able to say it. We wanted to find a way that they could say what they did simply, effectively, that would cause whoever they were talking to to walk away going, oh, now I understand what that company does. You know, and then, you know, if their need arises, they can say, oh, actually, well, I know that that company can serve those needs. The thing about storytelling is everyone's telling stories all the time. Most of them are telling bad stories. Most people are bad storytellers. They just say the first thing that comes to mind and their audiences are all their friends. So no one's ever really critical of them because if you tell a story to a loved one, the loved one is not going to tell you you're a terrible storyteller. You have to come to someone like me so that I can tell you you're not very good, but we can get you to be a lot better. But your company yeah. has all these people who are already telling stories. And with very little effort, I can level them up. You know, I can turn their D-plus storytellers into B-minus storytellers very quickly. And mm-hmm. that's just a resource that is underutilized in so many companies. The, the fact that we don't have to buy a program, we don't have to build a building, you know, we don't have to do anything other than just train these people in something they're already doing. And the beauty of it is when I go into a company, my pitch is always... I'm going to teach you to become a better storyteller. And that's going to help you in dating. That's going to help you making friends in life. That's going to help you at Thanksgiving dinner when you're, you know, when your, your son-in-law or your, your brother-in-law is always the loud mouth at the table. Who's always telling stories. You get to be the loud mouth. Now you get to be the entertaining person. I'm going to make you a better storyteller in your life, but it's also going to help you in your professional life at the same time. And all Mm -hmm. of that already exists in all these companies. And so many of them don't take advantage of it. Yeah. Well, and at the end of the day, whether these companies are thinking about it or not, they are telling stories. Uh, I can imagine on every sales call, your salesmen are probably telling a story or you're obviously we've already talked about marketing. Uh, Like storytelling is just so ingrained into us as human beings that it's what we do, but we don't necessarily do it well. Like you said, Yeah, (laughs) I know that we tell the wrong stories all the time too. We, we, we don't find the stories that are going to be useful to us uh, depending on the context we're in. So I'm always training people that you need to have a multitude of stories so that when I am asked a question, it is almost, it is almost never the case that I can't answer with a story if I want to. And then I train Mm -hmm. people to tell the 32nd version of that story, the two minute version of the story, the five minute version of the story, depending on how much time you have. Once you can become that flexible and once you have a lot of content sort of rolling around in your brain, you're talking to someone, not only are you going to choose the story that answers the question, but I'm also going to answer the story that answers the question for the person I'm facing. So is this Mm -hmm. a young person or an older person? Is this a parent? Is this a college student? Like I just have such an array of stories that 
my problem is which one do I use to get this person to either do the thing I want them to do, believe the thing I want them to believe, like me more than they liked me a moment ago, all of those <laughs> kinds of considerations. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I know one of the methods that you use to generate story ideas is this concept of homework for life. I've I've been listening to your podcast and I love this idea. I know that you have a TED talk on it. Could you give us like a brief synopsis, a brief idea of what this is? Because I think this would be beneficial from a brand perspective too for a marketing officer or an executive of a company to maybe do this for their company. Yeah. And for any salesperson too, all the salespeople should be doing it. So it's essentially the idea that we all are encountering moments in our lives that are very story worthy. Sometimes they're 30 second story worthy. Sometimes they're 30 minute story worthy. There are these moments when people say things or we see things or we do things that create those moments like the one I described in Trader Joe's. The problem is we don't value them in any way whatsoever. So in the miraculous moments when sort of regular people notice these things, they might notice it and then they make no attempt to hold on to them. And then they're eventually lost. We throw our memories away like they're trash, like they're meaningless. Mm -hmm. And so homework for life is a method of not only collecting them and holding on to them, but training ourselves to recognize these moments when they come so that we can build the amount of content and stories that we tell. So all I do or what I began to do about 10 years ago was at the end of the day, I asked myself, what is the most story worthy moment that has taken place today? What is the moment today that makes this day different than every other day? The way I like to frame it is my family has been kidnapped and the kidnappers tell me I don't get my family back until I tell a story about something that happened today. If that's the case, what's the story I tell? Even if nothing really happened on that day, my ki- my family's been kidnapped. I got to choose something. So I'm going to choose the most entertaining thing of all the non-entertaining things that have happened on that day. And I write uh, it down. I don't write the whole story down because that's insanity. That's far too much work and people will skip it all the time. I want this to be like brushing your teeth. So I use an Excel spreadsheet, two columns, a date column, and then I stretch that B column across the screen. And in that B column, I write the moments from that day. And mm-hmm. what I discover over time, and it's not just me, thousands of people around the world now do it. What I've discovered over time is that things happen to us all the time that are story worthy. I've developed this lens for storytelling where I see stories where other people don't. And it's not because my life is better or more interesting. It's not because I'm special. It's just because I've trained myself to see these things happening. So not only does it afford me an enormous number of stories to tell, more than I could ever get to now, but it also makes my days feel longer, makes my years feel longer, allows me to hold on to my moments and my memories. You know, all you have to do is ask a parent, you know, of some graduating 18-year-old child, like, you know, how much do you remember your child's life? You know, they're graduating, they're going to be going to college now. Can you give me like the 20 most significant moments of your life with your child? And you just watch them struggle. Or how many times you hear a parent say, you're not going to believe what my kid just said. I got to write that down. And then they never write it down. And that's why people Mm -hmm. go through life thinking time flies by so fast. You know, I can't believe how quickly that vacation went. Or I can't even remember last Thursday. None of that is true for me. Not one bit of it. Time goes by slowly. I mark every day by meaningful moments. Now I've gotten to the point, and most people get to the point, that you don't have to even reflect at the end of the day. You're noticing these things as they go through the day. And if you're smart enough to collect it, for me, it's I take out my phone, I write it down. I have my laptop around me, I write it down. I still, at the end of the day, sit down and go, okay, is there anything else that happened that I haven't really reflected upon yet? Right. 
it's not uncommon for me to have five or six moments captured from the day. Not all of them will become stories, but they're all moments I want to hold on to, and many times some of them will be stories. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but like you said, seems- there's a TED Talk on it that you that people could go check out. There's a lot more detail on the TED Talk. Yeah, for sure. And I'll definitely throw the link to that TED Talk in the show notes. So mm-hmm. um, if you're interested, just go to the show notes in your podcast app and go ahead and watch that because it's, it's well worth your time. And to me, it's almost like a better form of journaling, too. Uh, I tried to journal. I never was able to get into it because I would just sit there and I'd be like, uh, today was a good day. And I didn't know what to write. Um, <laughs> right. But to me, this is a more effective form of journaling because not only is it fast and easy, but it also creates the most important moments of every day of your life, basically. So you can just scroll through that at any time and see, oh, yeah, that happened. And and each one of those is a story-worthy moment, which is the best way that I can imagine to be able to create a a resource of your life and, and be able to go back and reflect on that. So it just makes so much sense. I like what you said, a resource of your life. That's pretty good. You know, it also, if you start doing it, for some reason, all the memories that you've let go will start coming back to you. They'll bubble up to the surface. Once you start developing that lens for storytelling, you just start making connections with, oh, this has happened to me before. When I was 24, something like this happened. And now you have a new moment, right? It's a moment from when you were 24 that now makes it into your homework for life, which is wonderful. You also notice patterns in your life. So sometimes you're in the middle of a story and you don't even realize it because you're not taking the time to note it. But when you go back and review your homework for life, you go, oh, this keeps happening to me and I didn't even realize it. <laughs> That's a story and maybe I better fix that. Th- that has happened to me many times. I'm going to throw out a hunch that that's how you realize that you like conflict. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. You know, the Trader Joe's story that I told you, the story that I told prior to that one for a moth grand slam took place in the building adjacent to Trader Joe's. There's a Best Buy adjacent to Trader Joe's. And I nearly got in a fist fight in a crosswalk in front of the Best Buy. So I told my wife, I said, it's kind of crazy that I told the story about almost getting in a fist fight and then getting in a verbal altercation. And what we actually did, it's a plaza near my home. We went through the whole plaza and we managed to find eight different stories just within that plaza that I could tell. You know, it's a plaza (laughs) close to my home and my school. I'm in it a lot. But still, the idea of, you know, finding eight stories in a single plaza that are worth telling is crazy. And yet it's not because I'm special. It's because I've just developed this lens over time and everyone can do the same. Yeah. Yeah. So if if you're having a hard time figuring out what kind of story to to do for your brand or for your business, I mean, do some homework for life. I bet you even if you did it just for a week, you'd probably find something worth worth looking at. Yeah, I agree. That's pretty cool. How much of the homework for life do you do you actually go back and write stories on or or develop the stories or does a lot of it end up kind of just becoming practice for the ones that you do? do decide to develop? That's interesting. It's a good question. The way I do my homework for life is I, I, I get a hundred entries on a sheet and then I go to the next sheet. So that allows me to get some distance from what has just happened. And eventually I'll go mm-hmm. back. I'll, I'll get a couple hundred away and then I'll go back. I suspect that, you know, if I was to do an average, I think I probably get about 15 stories that are worth telling for every hundred entries I I, I enter. That's pretty good. Yeah, that is good. I agree. I like that number. (laughs) 
but I think it's about right. The other thing, though, is even if things aren't stories, you know, my son says something really funny. That's not a story, but it's a detail that can go into a story later on. So a mm-hmm. lot of the stuff I find is facts and anecdotes and dialogue that I capture that will serve me well in a future story. So, you know, a lot of that content isn't necessarily a full story, but it's going to be parts of stories that I will put together later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This interview is just getting me excited to go and try <laughs> to figure out what the story of my brand is. Well, can I and- just say, you know, the w- the one thing you're saying that I want to just push back on is you're, you said, what's the story of my brand? And I, I try to teach people, it's not the story of your brand, it's the stories of your brand. You know, what you yeah. really want is you want to have multiple stories that you can tell about your company, depending on who you're talking to, the context that you find yourself in, the audience you're standing in front of. You know, one story is never going to do it because mm-hmm. if if you only have one story and that one story doesn't appeal to the client, the customer, whoever you're looking for, you're done. You're, like the, you're, mm-hmm. your one story fails, you have nothing else to go to. And so I always say the first story that I'm working with a company on, the first brand story that we're developing, it's the first brand story that we're developing. And there needs to be many more. There needs to be lots of different angles that we want to take with our company. So when one doesn't work, we have alternate strategies to uh, quickly you know, pivot to. I'm glad you pushed back on that because that makes a lot of sense. And I think that that's an important distinction to make. Really, at the end of the day, this is... Be- a skill that you should just develop and be able to pull out of your tool belt at any time. It's not just a one time. Okay. Let's write down this story. Let's create a, I, I kind of, it bugs me when a lot of businesses will sit down and write down like a mission or a vision and they never do anything with it. It's just what you're supposed to do. So they take out the notebook and they write something down and they never look at it again. Right. And I want to make sure that it's clear. This isn't necessarily that type of thing. Don't sit down and write a story and then never use it or never even think about it again. But this is a tool right. that hopefully we can develop as branders and marketers to to do better at our jobs, right? Yeah, I, I, I fully agree. I you know, one of the companies I worked with, we made a list of values for the company, but it wasn't for any sort of public dissemination. It was because now that we had these five core values, we can develop stories that highlight those core values, but we might not even say the value in the course of telling the story. We might just tell the story and allow the audience to have those values sort of become clear to them without us explicitly saying them. Cause that's often the most powerful way to teach someone something or to get someone to believe something is to allow them to draw their own conclusion. We have to mm. trick them, you know, trick them in a way by telling them a story that causes them in the back of their mind to go, Oh, this company is full of integrity, right? Rather than us saying, we believe in having a company that is, you know, has great integrity. We want our customers, our clients to believe those things about us on their own through our stories. So Mm -hmm. I agree with you. Those like those mission statements, those values, they're very useful in terms of crafting a story, but they're, they're completely useless if you're just doing it for the sake of having it, because you're right, no one cares about your mission statement. No one cares about your core values unless you can tell those values in a way that means something to people. Yeah. And you can really only tell them in a way that means something if you really do live them, right? Which which is why I think the stories are so powerful, because when you tell that story, that's where people say, oh, 
this company doesn't just say that they're X, Y, or Z, but they actually are. Um, right. And, and, and it goes back to the whole premise of this podcast, which is building trust. If you can tell true, honest stories that show you living those values, that's when a customer is going to trust you. That's when they're yeah. going to really believe in your mission or your vision. Right. If we think about Google, you know, Google's initial uh, mission statement, I guess, was do no evil, Don't right? Be evil. Yeah. <laughs> right. And for a while that worked really well for them, you know, and then that got a little uncomfortable because some of the things that they do, you know, are questionable. I mean, I don't know if they're necessarily evil, but you know, they're not always so good. So, you know, with Google, they either stopped living their value and needed to change their value, you know, wipe that away somehow and create a new story, or they need to realize they're not living up to that value. And if you're putting out do no evil, and you're doing some of the things that you are choosing to do, that conflict is going to create a lot of problems for you. So you're right. Your your story has to match what your values are, which is why the company I'm working with is really smart in that they are looking at all their materials and pulling the values out of the things that they're already doing rather than trying to think aspirationally. You don't want to think like, what do we want our values to be? No, that that's not a thing. What are your actual values? If you want your values to be something, start living it, but like talk to me in six months and see if it's actually happening. But right now yeah. I just want to know what you actually do in terms of value. That's the important part. Mm, yeah. I like that. Very cool. Well, is there anything when it comes to storytelling or branding or marketing that we haven't talked about yet that you think is important that we mention? Oh, that's a very good question. <laughs> well, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this. When I work with people, this is a brand new idea, actually. I just had it in the shower the other day. I called one of my marketers and said, Those I got a new idea. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the, the struggles I have when working with companies is just the idea that I want human beings to be in the marketing you know, and they really want the product to be the center. And I do understand mm -hmm. that. And it's fine. You know, and one of the things I have been told by people is, well, Steve Jobs, you know, when he released the iPhone, he wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about his product. You know, he was talking about the iPhone. We want to talk about our product the same way he's talked about the iPhone. And so I was listening to that critique. And in the shower, it occurred to me that it's not a good critique. And the reason is, we all knew Steve Jobs before he presented that first iPhone to us. Mm -hmm. We all knew that he was going to be wearing a turtleneck and dad jeans and a pair of sneakers. We all knew that he used to run Apple and then was kicked out of the company and went and built his own company. And then Apple basically came back to him on their knees and said, please come save us. Right. We probably knew that he was a vegan we probably knew he spent time in India. We knew a lot of things about Steve Jobs before he ever stepped on that stage and started talking about the iPhone. And that made him vulnerable and authentic and relatable already because he was Steve damn Jobs, right? <laughs> so some of the companies that I work with, you know, they're like, why do we need to get our CEO into the marketing? Steve Jobs didn't talk about himself when he released the iPhone. I'm going to say, well, everyone knew who Steve Jobs was, but Joe Smith man who runs ABC company, no one knows you. So like you stand on the stage or you speak to salespeople and they don't have any faith or trust in you because they don't know you. You know, one of the mm -hmm. things I do with executives all the time is I say, I say to them, when you meet someone, what information do you attempt to, to put forth to the person standing next to you? What do you try to say to those people? And they kind of never have an answer for me. 
You know, and my answers are always, if you're a parent, make sure the person you're speaking to knows you're a parent because parents feel empathy for other parents, right? Automatically. <laughs> oh, you got kids. I got kids. We already have a connection. I tell them if you own cats or dogs, work it into the conversation in the first minute because cat owners are crazy about their cats. I'm a cat owner. And when I meet another cat owner, it's not that I want to talk about cats, but I go, Oh, you got a cat. You and I, we understand the world. Oh, you're a dog owner. I used to own a dog for 18 years. My best friend, you and I understand the world, right? If you're married, let the person know you're married because being married means another human being has agreed to spend their entire life with you and probably sleep in the same bed as you. That's a remarkable thing. Like that indicates that you are on some level socially <laughs> acceptable. You have hygiene, you have decency. Like it's just a marker of you're kind of okay, that you're a little safe. I always mention I'm an elementary school teacher because it's an instant indicator that I am an okay guy. I work in the public school too. I make sure I say that because I'm not a private school guy. I'm a public school guy. I always mention I play golf. Now that one doesn't hit as many people, but when it does hit someone, I can stand in a corner with another golfer for 12 hours and enjoy their company and they will enjoy my company. It's like a religion. So if I happen to meet someone at some point, I'll slip and I play golf. If they play golf, they smile instantly. It is an instantaneous mm -hmm. connection. And if they don't play golf, I move on past it. But you have to think about what you want people to know about you. And when you're crafting <laughs> your brand story, they don't want to know necessarily what your product is only. They want to know about you as a person. Think of Zoom, right? The CEO of Zoom, his name is, what's his name? Um, ugh. I'll do a Google search real quick. It's almost, it's, 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 it's in my head almost. Eric Wan, I think. Good job, Eric Wan. Okay, Eric Wan. <laughs> so Eric Wan's story about Zoom, he creates Zoom because he's got a grandmother in somewhere in Asia. I can't remember where. He's got a grandmother somewhere, and he's using Skype, and it's terrible. And he's missing out on the conversation with his grandmother. So he says, I am going to go build a platform that I want to exist in the world. And he focuses on nothing but video. And he creates the most effective, powerful, most recognized platform for video in the world. That's a great story. That is a guy who had a problem speaking to granny and went and solved that problem. And that's a story that includes the person in the brand story. So all of these companies who tell me they don't want to put the person in the brand story because Steve Jobs didn't do it, I tell them that's because we knew who Steve Jobs was. That's because we know who Bill Gates was. You're bringing out people that we already know, right? What we need to remember is people don't know most of our CEOs. People don't know our founders. We have to let people know who they are because that that story of Eric Wan, you know, that that's... That's a powerful story that tells me I should be using Zoom video because it's good mm -hmm. enough for his grandmother. So so be looking for that. Push your people into your story whenever you can. Yeah, I, I think you gave us enough stuff there that we could talk for another two hours, but <laughs> I, I, I won't put you through that. Um, but it does make me think uh, you're talking about connecting with people and mentioning things about yourself so that you can connect with people. And it's such a powerful thing because even if you say you're a golfer and the other person isn't a golfer, it's not going to ruin anything. They're not no. going to all of a sudden hate you because you're a golfer. But if they happen to be a golfer, you just 
solidified that relationship. You just made it amazing. And so I think that's something that any brand can really start to use is just start sprinkling in little pieces of stuff everywhere. To me, that is the reason to produce content too, which I could go off for another hour on, but that's why a podcast is so valuable in my opinion. They get to know you. If you have a business, you should have a podcast. You can create a podcast about just about any topic, but the point of it is people can listen and get to know you and listen to you speaking. It creates so much trust and it's, it's amazing. But anyways, sprinkle little things about yourself. I never told you, Matthew, but I should have. I'm married. I have kids. I, I have a dog. <laughs> I'm a tech enthusiast. Yeah. <laughs> I should just uh-huh. tell all the things that I am. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's remarkable though. When you say those things, how quickly. You know, my instinct is to go, oh, how old are your kids, right? Like, I just am drawn into the idea of, oh, he's a father. I wonder how old his kids are. What kind of dog does he have? You know, all of those things just make us feel a little closer to other people. And I think that's just an incredibly important thing when we're trying to make people believe in the thing that we're trying to get them to give us money for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being on the show. For the record, I have a daughter that's three, almost four, and a son that's two, and I have a Bernadoodle. Uh, (laughs) But anyways, thank you so much, Matthew. Uh, Obviously, I want people to find you and go learn more about you. You've written multiple novels. You're a TEDx speaker. We already talked a little bit about that. You have a podcast. Uh, Tell us all about all the great things you're doing and where people can find you. Sure. Uh, if they go to matthewdix.com, they can basically find everything there. But our podcast is Speak Up Storytelling. We used to publish every week before the pandemic. And right now, because we're ending our school year, my wife is a kindergarten teacher, we are slightly on hiatus. But there's more than 100 episodes to go back and, and listen to while we're getting back on our feet. I've also written a book on storytelling called Storyworthy. Uh, so that was, is sort of like a soup to nuts that'll take you from not knowing anything to being a pretty effective storyteller. And it's a kind of book that is sort of circulated through companies and uh, hospitals and Santa Clauses and comedians and lots and lots of people are using it to help them craft their stories a little bit better. So that can be helpful to you too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I would just recommend the podcast. I'm going to throw a link to that too. But if you want to hear a lot of cool stories, the podcast is a great place because you feature your own stories, but then also stories that other people tell and you dissect them and talk about them. It's a, it's a great experience. So yeah, we're lucky. We have a lot of, we have a long catalog of stories from all of our shows and we break them down and talk about what's going well and what can be improved. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Matthew. You have a good day. Thanks. You too. Take care. Thank you for listening to TrustCast. This podcast has been a production of Website Squirrel. Find us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook, or visit our website at websitesquirrel.com. I'm Jacob Harmon, and I've been your host. If you've liked what you've heard, we invite you to subscribe to TrustCast in your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. It really does help. Join us next time as we continue to break through the noise by building real human connections and trust in business. See you then.